Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast. I'm your host, Sarita Biswasam. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to part two of our three part series looking into the world of illicit tobacco. Joining us for parts two and three of our series is Rowan Pike, illicit trade detection expert who created the Australian Border Forces Tobacco Strike Team. Following on our discussion with Commander Greg Linsdale, Rowan will share his expertise in the reasons associated with the growth of illicit tobacco trade in Australia. Before we continue to keep up to date with all future Crime Stoppers Victoria podcasts, Hit the follow or subscribe button on your podcast player. Hope you enjoy our discussion with Rowan. It's great to have you on the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast today, Rowan. Thanks for joining us. Uh, no, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, we certainly look forward to getting into our discussion on illicit tobacco today. Before we get started, uh, it would be great to learn a bit more about yourself and and your career. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. I um, started with 24 years in the Australian Federal Police as an investigator. I was based uh, primarily in Melbourne, but also did some stints in Canberra, um, in Pakistan for a few years. Um, and my focus was uh, my primary area of expertise, if you like, was in financial crime um, and anti-corruption work. Um, from there, I went and did two years at the ABF, um, which was just uh, set up in uh, July 2015. And while I was there, I set up the illicit tobacco strike team. Um, and since then, I've had uh, three or four years as a private investigator, a consultant and um, a political lobbyist, both here and overseas. Uh, my current role is... Um, as an illicit trade advisor to the Retail and Trade Advocacy Group. Um, and we represent brands who are feeling the effects of illegal counterfeiting and smuggling of their products. Okay, well, that's that's really um, interesting. As far as how wide that extends in terms of product types, what can you say in that regard? Um, well, we're interested in any uh, product that... Um, has the potential of being smuggled into the country, of being counterfeited, um, etc. And um, our lobbying uh, is looking to ensure that the enforcement response to these crimes is appropriate. Um, 
And as we'll see with tobacco, obviously that's one of the high highest taxed commodities. Um, and other high-taxing commodities such as uh, alcohol um, and other luxury goods are, uh, are serious concerns for us. And, and with the smuggling and the like, is, is this taking place all across Australia or is it more concentrated in a particular few states? Uh, no, it's um, pretty consistent right across Australia. Uh Yes, obviously some of the ports, perhaps Sydney and Melbourne, uh, have you know, larger ports and therefore by volume will probably have more uh, smuggling activities there. But um, through the other means of importation, mail, um, air freight, travellers, so on, that could happen anywhere across Australia. Mm, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Well, let's talk illicit tobacco. So th- there is a... I guess tobacco in itself um, has interest to all parts of the community because I'm sure there is a significant smoking population. But illicit tobacco in particular, what does that refer to? That's a good question, really. It's And it is good to differentiate between what is legal and illegal. Um, I guess the primary identifier of illicit tobacco is would be any tobacco product that's not had, not paid the applicable government tax on it. Um, and another common feature of illicit tobacco is that it's imported, grown or manufactured in Australia without a licence. Now, obviously, uh, for the regular consumer, um, this licence status of those products is impossible to know. The large portion of it are imported cigarettes, in packets or cartons and uh, obviously smuggled in and they come in in their own coloured branding. Um, and, of course, as, as I've said, I think 99% of all illicit tobacco does not comply with plain packaging legislation. Um, there were a couple of early examples of people trying to counterfeit the plain packaging but not paying the applicable taxes. Um, but I'm not sure that that's happening uh, anymore. So I would say almost entirely if you see a coloured packet of cigarettes, that's illicit. But there's also um, one of the areas of uh, illicit tobacco that's hardly ever spoken about is shisha tobacco, um, also known as molasses tobacco. And these are the, this is the type of tobacco that's smoked in um, a water pipe. Uh, it's also called a hooker. Um, you might be familiar with it. Um, mm. It's a it's an increasingly popular way of consuming tobacco. Um, uh, you might have noticed cafes on you know, Ligon Street or Sydney Road um, here in Melbourne, but in other states there are plenty of it going on as well in Adelaide and, and Sydney. Um, traditionally, it, it um, was associated with uh, pastimes of Middle Eastern cultures. Um, and obviously Australia has... Um, had many immigrants from the Middle East, but it's 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 grown, and, and a lot of those have brought those cultures. Uh, people have brought that culture with them of uh, smoking the water pipe. But it's it's grown even more popular than that, and, and now the wider, broader community is uh, thinks it's a, a popular thing to do. Um, however, they probably don't know that all of that shisha tobacco that they're smoking is illegal. So no one is uh, paying the duty on importations of shisha tobacco, and that's because of the massive 
uh, excise rate. So that's, you know, as I might have said to you, it's $1,576 a kilo. Mm. Um, and that's just the excise. Um, so if you add on freight charges and retail profits and so on, um, you would you'd be thinking about around $2,000 a kilo to um, smoke shisha tobacco, when in fact you can actually buy it for $250. So obviously um, people are not going to be uh, selling a product for tenth of the cost of it. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's all smuggled. Um, and it's amazing that that's a, there's a whole industry out there, shops, cafes, um, you name it, right across Australia, um, thousands of people really smoking this product and all of that is illegal so um, they don't know that and um, most most of law enforcement don't really recognize it either and they've yet to do anything about it. Wow that's interesting so with the the nature of this type of product if you like illicit tobacco what would you say has changed within the landscape as far as its presence uh, over the years? Well, um, it's always there's always been an element of illicit tobacco in the marketplace. Um, I remember doing a job in the Federal Police back in the year 2000 where there was $20 million worth of duty evaded uh, by one criminal group um, which was a pretty large job back then, but they were only sort of uh, uh, siphoning off a dollar or two per packet when the prices were you know, five to seven dollars. Now, with the prices at up around you know forty or more dollars per packet, um, there's the problem has grown exponentially with <clears throat> with the tax, um, and. Yes, it's got up to at least 20% of the legal market now. So um, unlike you know, illicit narcotics, which are banned entirely, you know, tobacco is a legal product. As you say, there are still plenty of smokers out there. Um, it's always been a legal activity, and it still is. So, um, you know, it's a perfectly legal pastime. However, many smokers want to continue to smoke um, but don't want to pay you know, the extreme prices that cigarettes now attract. So they have to look for a, a cheaper alternative. Um, and so an illegal industry was born um, and, that, and it developed to satisfy that demand. So yeah, you could say illicit tobacco exists just to fill that demand in the market of smokers who don't want to pay the full price. And would you say that illicit tobacco suppliers have seen a greater opportunity to make money from this this type of product given the significant rise in the tax on regular tobacco? Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we're talking now about a tax of ten per cigarette um, if sold in that form or if in the loose-leaf form, it's $1,576 per kilo. Is That's just the excise rate. Mm. On on these days, so by comparison, silver is only a thousand dollars a kilo. So this is fifty percent more. This is more fifty percent more expensive than silver. It's heading mm. heading towards the price of gold. Um, so yes, criminals have spotted a um, an opportunity here to price their product at a certain level. Um, you know, 
just below what is the legitimate price and something that would attract smokers um, to their product. So, uh, yes, the, the increasing price has allowed criminals to increase, in fact, their price of the illicit as well, um, obviously at a slightly lower level. Mm, mm, yeah, that makes sense. Well, okay. Well, in terms of where it, it it's grown, is there certain areas in Australia or overseas where it's more conducive to better results? Hmm. Well, um, it's a good question. I'm not really a farmer. However, I can tell you that in the days of past 10 years ago when we actually had legitimate and licensed tobacco growing in Australia. Most of that was done in the Myrtleford area of Victoria or in the Mareeba area um, of Queensland, just outside of Cairns. Um, but now uh, there is no licensed uh, tobacco growing in Australia. Um, but having said that, there's obviously still growing going on. Um, and as I say, that can be done virtually anywhere that um, has got decent soil and irrigation. Um, and we've seen criminals want to lease uh, patches of land off farmers uh, for this purpose. So um, that's something for, for, for farmers. Um, but some of, the, some, of the, some of the crops that have been um, discovered have really come in, in every state. So there's been numerous around the Goulburn area, um, some up near in even Northern Territory, um, Queensland and Victoria continue to um, to have uh, seizures as well. Okay. Well, in terms of uh, importation of illicit tobacco, how have um, how have criminals been able to smuggle this type of product into the country? Um, well, they use all methods that they can um, to deceive the authorities. The you know, traditional methods. Uh, via the mail, um, uh, via overseas travellers. Obviously, there's not as many of those this year during the COVID period. Mm. So that shut down. That shut down that method um, somewhat, um, um, and via air freight and sea freight. Just via the mail, you'd be amazed at how much is getting sent through the mail. Um, there's about a thousand parcels of tobacco that are intercepted every day. Oh wow! Um, by by the authorities. So that just shows you the sort of tsunami of illicit tobacco that's attempting to be imported. Um, and I'm sure they're doing their best to intercept it, but um, they've got a fair job uh, ahead of them to do that. Um, but travellers, uh, when they were travellers, can pay for an overseas trip by bringing back a suitcase full of it. Um, and obviously large quantities are brought in by air and sea freight. Um, obviously the true nature of and the description of those shipments is disguised, um, as it is for you know, other commodities like narcotics, um, you know, to hide their true contents. But hundreds of tons of tobacco, uh, both both in the loose leaf form from mm. overseas and manufactured form in um, packaging already packaged, um, is intercepted every year. Um, and that amount um, of what is being seized has been growing exponentially for the last oh, you know, good five to ten years. So, uh, yeah, that's just an indication of how much is being attempted to be imported. So with travellers nowadays, there are pretty strict limits as far as how much 
t- tobacco you can bring into the country. What can you say about the level of uh, of travellers who exceed those um, limits that are prescribed for tobacco? Um, yeah, they get uh, regularly well screened and and caught. Um, there's obviously this year has been a completely different year to normal with the lack of international uh, and domestic travellers coming in and out of the country. So um, no doubt the numbers have taken a steep decline this year. But in years past, there'd be quite a few people who have been caught for trying to bring in an amount over the limit, which and the limit's almost next to nothing now. Mm. So I think it's only a packet or less. Um, and, uh, yeah, plenty of people are still trying to uh, get past that. But... Um, Obviously, the authorities have their ways of detecting it at the border. Um, there's often sniffer dogs and so on, um, and some of these are picked up. So is the growth of illicit tobacco a global issue? Is it something that um, other authorities worldwide are seeing uh, an issue that needs to really be curbed? Or is it something that in Australia there's probably a more of a focus than than elsewhere? Yeah, that's a good question. um, It's definitely a global concern. Um, And Australia um, is one of the most problematic areas. Uh, And that is no doubt due to the fact that we've got the highest priced tobacco in the world, quite comfortably. Um, But if you look down all the countries that do have quite high-priced tobacco, um, which includes New Zealand and the UK, um, they also have um, quite a large problem. So, you know, it is a a global issue, um, and the structure of the crime is is a global one as well, and quite similar to the narcotic industry, um, except in the one respect, I guess, where in most countries where it's produced, it's done so legally. Mm. So these are likely to be legal products um, in their home market when they're produced, but they become illegal when they they try to get into our country without having the applicable taxes being paid. Um, but in other respects, there's a global supply chain. Um, they do get smuggled in in a myriad of ways that uh, are similar uh, to narcotic sort of smuggling. Um, and, yeah, the production and global distribution follows many of those same routes and exploits the same supply chains as other commodities. So, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's certainly a global issue. Mm. So with uh, the tobacco, uh, getting it from, uh, whether it being from overseas or, or being grown here, how do you get through from the from that stage for regular consumers being able to access it? Yeah, well, this is unfortunately where some of the enforcement response um, falls down a bit. So there are some dedicated resources with the ABF at the border, but post the border, there's very few resources dedicated to looking at and intercepting and stopping. Um, the distribution. So the main method of distribution or sale um, is via shop fronts. Um, and they often purport to be gift shops, uh, but in reality they're no more than just fronts um, 
for the organised crime groups who are selling these tobacco products to consumers. So they don't mean to, they're not there to design to sell any of gifts at all or whatsoever, but they uh, just put that on the front door mm. and then sell uh, their tobacco products. And there, there are many, many of these. Um, in Victoria at the moment, many of these shops that it used to be called gift shops have been rebadged just with a sticker over the front of their door calling themselves a convenience store mm. um, because convenience stores are allowed to be open during this lockdown, whereas gift shops are not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's um, just being another another law that they've been breaking, um, apart from selling their illicit tobacco. So it's um, really quite disappointing that it's so brazen um, and uh, so prevalent. Um, and that's because there's very little, as I said, very little enforcement done at the retail level. Um, so for these shopkeepers, um, there's little or no risk uh, of them being arrested or charged for their role in the in the supply chain. So the effect is that the organised crime syndicates uh, behind it have a pretty easy way of getting their product to the customers and making their profits. Um, so that's you know in complete com- contrast to the narcotic trade, which is all very underhanded and uh, hand-to-hand, you know, through in back streets and in in cars, and it's all very um, covert, and they mm. go to extreme lengths to um, hide their sale activities, and there's no defined places where they would do that. Um, but, yeah, tobacco just gets sold. It's um, pretty easy to obtain and to locate these sort of shops that will sell it to you. Yeah, it, it is quite uh, fascinating. I, I guess could... Could these uh, retailers uh, take the smokes out of the the illicit packets to in and then place them in a regular, uh, you know, Winfield or, or whatever brand and, and try sell it in that manner? Is there any way sort of to detect these things? Um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, they they tend not to have to go to that extent because um, some of the, the products that are imported, some of them are main brands. So you'll find your yeah, Marlborough products and so on and some other products, uh, Double Hands comes from Hong Kong. It's a brand that um, you know we weren't familiar with before um, plain packaging came in, but now it's grown its own market share as a brand um, in the illicit space. Mm. Um, and people sort of gravitate to a product that they know and are familiar with. Um, but yeah, they don't need to go to the extent of um, pretending to be a Winfield or something like that, um, because the primary driver of the, the customer is the price. So they'll come in and get find a box of a hundred cigarettes, mm. which is the common way of uh, packaging up locally grown tobacco when it's cut. Um, they roll it themselves. They put it into boxes of a hundred. And that sold for something around you know, $30, which mm. is you know, significantly less than um, you know, the packs that have been sold for a uh, legitimate price with the tax included. Mm. Yeah, well, that, that's remarkably cheaper. What can you say about these organised crime networks and their ability to uh, to really structure something that can, that can filter through um, to, to retail? Yeah, they're well practiced at it. So some of the uh, ones here in Victoria, some of the 
the chief crime syndicates have been in operation for decades now. Um, so they're very well practiced, um, either from the locally manufactured product, which uh, they would uh, have a network of farms or leases on farms to produce their own product, or they've got um, associations with importers to bring it through the border. So um, they have been set up long ago, and their distribution chains, um, similarly, um, they know what the gaps are, the vulnerabilities in the supply chain in that enforcement response, um, and they managed to get around it. And they've done it for a long time, but uh, just more recently with the increases um, in taxes, they've been able to make uh, more profits more quickly. So um, I imagine that they've got similar setups to what they've had in the past, um, and they'd be, as I say, they're quite, uh, I imagine, satisfied that the enforcement response post the border um, is is just a light touch. So they have very little risk in getting caught. Are government taxes helping fuel the industry of illicit tobacco due to the increased cost to purchase cigarettes? Well, yes, of, of course, it's the primary driver of this crime type. So the criminal industry has grown exponentially um, and in direct relation to the increases in, in taxes. So, um, and I've already discussed with you uh, the history of how that's come to be, but uh, with the convention that um, decided that world policy against tobacco should be to raise the taxes as um, much as possible, and that will stop everyone smoking. But um, obviously it hasn't. It's only really forced them into the illicit market. Yeah, well, yeah, it's quite interesting um, in to note. And in terms of the health effects of consuming uh, illicit tobacco versus regular legal tobacco, is there a difference there? Um, well, not really. I mean, I, firstly, I should say that I'm not a uh, I'm not a health expert, um, so that's not really my uh, area of expertise but um, I would say that firstly that no tobacco is good for you um, I've never had a cigarette in my life and I can't understand why anyone would mm. um, risk their health by smoking so um, if you want to compare legal from illegal tobacco from a health perspective um, it's important to firstly understand that there's no healthy option um, but having said that obviously uh, legal manufacturers have their products go through pretty stringent quality control processes. Um, so I imagine the consumers have some confidence in what they're buying um, is at least consistent. Whereas illegal manufacturers that can often be, you know, just backyard um, operations and um, they've got no quality control. So in effect, the smokers of these products, who are consuming these products, they're placing their health um, and the faith in the hands of criminals um, and there's no guarantee really as to what's in them or the hygiene associated with their manufacture. Just, just last year I managed to get my hands on some illicit tobacco uh, from a variety of locations in the western region mm. of Victoria um, down Warrnambool sort of way. Um, there were a number of shops that uh, illicit tobacco was sourced from um, and I had that forensically tested at a laboratory here in Melbourne. Um, and some of the results showed that uh, there were you know, contaminants in there, including feathers. 
in in one of the tubes, uh, oh, wow. chicken feathers. So that would just sort of showed that um, you never quite know what you're going to get with the um, illicit product. But as I say, um, the bottom line is there's no healthy option to um, in smoking tobacco. Thanks for listening to part two of our three-part series on illicit tobacco trade in Australia. Keep listening to hear part three, where we continue our discussion with Rowan Pike, where we look into how illicit tobacco shipments are being intercepted, law enforcement, and the impact of tobacco crime on convenience store retailers. This is the Crime Stoppers Victoria podcast.